been a whole week already, but, you know, here we are. Uh, last week, we started, even though it wasn't the new year, we started through our new series in the book of Acts. And so if you weren't able to be here with us, let me just give you a real quick, brief explanation. We only looked at five verses, so theoretically, this should be quick. Uh, and then we're only going to look at a few verses again this morning as well. Acts is a kind of a two, or Acts is part two, rather, I should say, of a two-part writing that Luke put together. And so you have the Gospel of Luke, uh, which is the third book in the New Testament. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and then Acts. And Acts is part two, and, and, and both of them are written for us basically for one reason. Luke says that in the first book, it was to teach or, or to explain all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And in this book, it is to continue the work of Jesus. Now, specifically, there's a transition that happens. It's through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the main player. And, and we talked about how that's important to know. It, sometimes we look at the title and it says the Acts of the Apostles. And we think of the Apostles as the main characters. But it's Jesus at work through the Holy Spirit that is the main character. And the Apostles are just stepping into what God has called them to do. But it is God doing the work and not the apostles. And I think that's a very important distinction for us to make both in the scriptures, but also in our own lives. It's not us that get the credit. It's God that gets the credit. As Guillermo shared, it's, it's not his wisdom that brought him to that place in that moment. In that time, it was God saying, I'm going to lead you. Will you be faithful and will you step out? And that's what we're going to see uh, in the book of Acts. We also went on kind of a little rabbit trail. It was a big rabbit trail, actually. Um, talking about the 40-day period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And, and kind of a, a view, uh, it's a minority view held in Christianity, but it's beginning to spread, especially in Western Canada, that there was this new stuff being talked about, that what Jesus was teaching in those 40 days was something more than what we have in the scriptures and and what we talked about last week is the danger of that. Jesus very clearly, as he ministered to his disciples post-resurrection, taught all of the same things but with the resurrection in view. They didn't really understand a lot of times, and you see Jesus saying that to his disciples, do you still not get it? Are you still so dull? He would say things like that to them. Because they weren't seeing things in the broader context of which God intended to do. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because even though Jesus has risen and he's about to ascend, is the disciples are still very narrow focused on what they think God's doing. And Jesus is going to explain to them, no, no, I need to redirect you. I need to help you see things from the perspective of the resurrection and the mission that we referred to last week in Matthew 28 as the Great Commission. This is what we are called to do. Jesus tells them, and we're going to see it this morning, that he's about to leave. He's about to ascend to be with the Father, but that the Holy Spirit is coming. We're going to talk about that briefly again this morning, but in the coming weeks, what we're going to look at is who that Holy Spirit is, what his role is in our lives. Help us to understand him from a biblical concept, and, and what we're going to see this morning uh, we're going to see an example in a few minutes about somebody who tried to claim the Holy Spirit working in a way that was not, and the consequences that come with that. So we want to be people that are discerning to say, God, is this your will? Are you calling me to this, or is, or is this my own selfish desire? Make it clear to me so that I would know. 
Those are the things that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. So let's look at uh, verses 6 to 11 of Acts chapter 1. It says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we're going to look at this question that the disciples ask and its relevance. I'm just going to do that and hope that that's causing the feedback. No? All right. What's causing the feedback? Let's move that. Oops. Okay. So the disciples ask this question, and in some ways we can see it as a very logical question, right? The, the disciples have been following Jesus. Jesus has been teaching them for three, three and a half years, and they had been waiting for Jesus um, to act in a very specific way that they thought. And actually, we're going to see in a few moments, Jesus already had taught them some of these things, but they didn't quite fully grasp them. And so Jesus has died, but he's risen again, and now he shows up here. And so their question is, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you notice Jesus' answer? Is it a very expected answer? As Jesus often does, is he reframes the question, he redirects them, because the question they're asking, while not irrelevant, is not the question that they should be asking. And so Jesus is going to direct them not to the specifics, but to a mission, to what they have been called to do. And not just the disciples, this is us as well, and, and so I think this is really important that we grasp this. Now, again, the disciples had read the Old Testament. Jesus had taught them all kinds of things, and they're trying to look at this in the focus of the resurrection, but they're looking very nationalistic. You see, the Jewish people were under Roman occupation, and, and the greatest need that they thought they had was that they would be freed from that. They didn't want to have to be under that Roman occupation. They wanted freedom to worship God the way that they used to. They were looking back to kind of the freedom of, well, we could say it this way, the monarchy. But if you know First and Second Kings, the monarchy didn't go real well. But you know, it's easy to forget those things in the past. It's easy for us to look back and remember the good old days, as it were. But God's plan was not this narrow, but was much broader. And, and it, it's not surprising. It's not new. Back in Genesis 12, verse 3, God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and whom you, and whom, pardon me, and whom you, blah, 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 who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Is God's plan was not only for Israel. God's plan was to use the nation of Israel to bring blessing to all the nations. That was always the goal. It was never just Israel. But as, and we can be hard on the 
disciples here, but I think don't our own prayers betray us in that way too? So often our own prayers are very consumed with my life right here and right now. The challenges that I'm facing, the issues that I have, and I put blinders on and I forget all the issues that are going on in the world. I forget all the hurt that exists, all the injustice that's going on, and then I complain about the things in my life. And I'm not saying that the things that we're facing are irrelevant. I'm just saying they're just a part of what is happening in the world and a part of what we ought to be seeing because God didn't rescue us so that our life could be free of uh, difficulty and opposition. He rescued us so that we might bring the hope of Jesus to the world. You see this really clearly uh, in the book of Jonah. Jonah's just a, a short little um, prophet in the Old Testament. No, he's not a short little prophet. The book is a short little prophet. Oh, boy. You know what I mean. Four little chapters. But what happens is God calls Jonah. He says, go and preach to the Ninevites. Go and preach to them because their, their behavior and their acts are so wicked. And Jonah runs away in the opposite way. And, and we're left for a little while to wonder, why did he run away? Why didn't he just go and do what God had called him to? Well, he says this in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Does that make sense why he ran? God, I knew you were going to find a way to forgive them, so I ran. The only way that makes sense is if you realize that Jonah didn't want them to be forgiven. Jonah didn't think the Ninevites deserved God's forgiveness. He was looking at it like, I deserve it, yet who's the one running? In fact, the, whole, the book of Jonah shows us that basically the entire nation of Nineveh repents and turns towards God. And Jonah's angry. The book ends. And I think it's written that way without this happy ending so that we reflect, we look at our own hearts and we go, those people in my life who are oppressing me, who are mean, the, the, the co-workers that I have that are, you know, making fun of me or, what, you know, fill in the blank with whatever it is and go, do I love them and want them to come to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? That they would become my brother or sister or do I want them to experience the, the wrath that I think they deserve? I think a lot of times we're the same as Jonah, we're the same as the disciples, our focus is much too narrow. Commentator John Stott says something very interesting in this. He writes, speaking of the disciples, he says, they were still dreaming of a political dominion, of the reestablishment of the monarchy, of Israel's liberation from the colonial yoke of Rome. The mistake they made was to misunderstand both the nature of his kingdom and the relationship between the kingdom and the spirit. Their focus was way too narrow. God was always about the nations, not only the nation of Israel, though he did choose the nation of Israel to bring blessing to the world, but how easy it is to forget and to focus on ourselves. And so Jesus rebukes them gently at the beginning of the answer in verse 7, and then reframes it, redirects the question. The rebuke comes in this, where he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So notice, he doesn't say dumb question. Right? Like they say, is, is it time? And he says, it's not for you to know the time. 
So there is a time coming. And there's been a time coming all through Scripture. It's been talked about and, and written and prophesied. And the disciples were eagerly waiting for this. But they were missing a whole big piece in the middle where Jesus says, well, he already talked about the Great Commission, which we read last week in Matthew 28. There's a purpose. There's a mission that I have for you before that happens. And it's not going to be very fast because the mission is what? To go to the nations. It's not a very quick proposition. Go talk to everyone who has never heard the name of Jesus. Go bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's not a quick thing. So in some ways, he was telling the disciples, it's not yet. It's probably not going to be for a long time. And here we are, 2,000 years removed from that, still awaiting Jesus to come and Jesus to rule and to make all things right. John Polhill said this in, in his explanation of Jesus' answer to the question. He says, instead, uh, sorry, he wasn't rejecting the concept of a restored Israel. Instead, he depoliticized it. Have you ever heard a statement that we need more in our world today? He depoliticized it with the call to a worldwide mission. The disciples were to be tr the true restored Israel, fulfilling its mission to be a light to the Gentiles so that God's salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 49, 6. Real quick note, when was Isaiah written? 700 years before Jesus came. This mission was always there. The disciples just didn't see it clearly. The mission is to go and be God's witnesses throughout all the world. In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so yes, the mission starts with Israel in Jerusalem. And then it would go into Judah and Samaria. And again, if you know your uh, history of Israel and the northern and the southern kingdoms and the animosity that existed between Jews and Samaritans, what you can kind of see is the beginning patterns of here and then here. But then when he says, and to the ends of the earth, it becomes abundantly clear. Here's the mission, to bring the gospel to everyone. But of course, we're not asked to do that on our own. What does verse 8 say? We will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. The same, there's, there's a song by Jeremy Camp that says, the same power that raised God from the dead lives in you and in me. That same power, the Holy Spirit, is at work within us to accomplish this mission, this purpose. This is what is most important. But the disciples had too narrow a focus. And I would argue you and I have way too narrow of a focus. We get distracted by the things of this world uh, very easily in our jobs and our careers and those things take so much precedent in our life when what should take precedent is that our jobs are only conduits to go and to preach the gospel. Now some get to actually preach and, and some have to do that in different ways by building relationships with coworkers and showing them the hope that you have. But make no mistake, the career, the job, the thing that God has brought you to, and I'll say it this way because we're in BAMP, some of you are doing the careers that you have planned for. Some of you have left the careers that you were doing to come here for a season, a time. But let me just say it this way, that wasn't your idea, that was God's. He's brought you here to this place and this time and this purpose. 
because he has mission for you. And we can accomplish that through the careers, through the uh, skills and the abilities that we have. But this mission should be the central thing that we think of. The gospel needs to be spread. Lives need to be transformed for the disciples, not just in Jerusalem, but to the ends of the world. If you want to get really biblically nerdy, which I like to do sometimes, if you read the book of Acts with this in mind, Jerusalem is Acts 1 to 7. Judea and Samaria is Acts 8 to 12. And the ends of the earth is Acts 13 to 28. The very commission that Jesus gives right at the beginning, you watch fulfilled in that short little book. Now, the ends of the earth really only get to Rome in Acts, but then what do you see happen in the rest of the New Testament as the gospel explodes across the known world? In fact, the gospel explodes all over the world to the point where we probably have 10 or 12 different nations represented here right now because the disciples were faithful to the call that God gave. Now notice, the Holy Spirit is coming to accomplish that mission. You and I receive the Holy Spirit. It's not only that God's going to restore the kingdom, but he's going to do that in a very different way that we ever could have anticipated until he comes and until he rules again. But as I mentioned earlier, this was not new information. Jesus had already spoken these things. Back in Matthew 24 or or Mark 13 or Luke 17, we're going to read Matthew 24, but we read this. The disciples are talking about... um, we're talking with Jesus, and Jesus is talking about his second coming, which they haven't really figured out yet, that he's going to die and rise, even though he's said it actually quite plainly. But he says this, concerning that day or hour, who knows? He says, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus had already told them then, look, it's not for you to know. I'm going to do other things. This thing that you're focused on, yes, we're going to get there, but there's more important things that we're going to focus on first. It's the same answer that Jesus gives here. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but you will receive power. Now, it's not only the disciples that struggle to know the times and the seasons. Ever since that day, all through history, we can look back and we can see people very consumed with the times and the seasons. Is now the end times? Is now when Christ is going to come? Even even in our very own right now history, when, when the war in Israel happens again, so many people get distracted and go, these are the moments. This is when Jesus is going to come. Look. And then we start to go through scripture and we try to, to show that, okay, this sign has happened and this sign has happened, so it's imminent, it's right, it's right here, it's going to happen right now, and Jesus has already said twice to us, it's not for you to know, but you have a mission. Don't get distracted by the mission by looking at the dates and the times and the seasons. We talked about this Thursday, but I wanted to, with our Bible study, but I wanted to share this with you here, is there was a, na- a worker at NASA very intelligent man who was a believer in Jesus. I have his name written here, but I kind of don't want to throw him under the bus too bad. Um, but he wrote a book in 1988 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988. Well, 1988 came, and it went. And I don't think the rapture happened. So what would you do if you wrote a book like that? 
Well, he did this. He wrote another book. 1989 called The Final Shout, Rapture Report, 1989, 90, 91, 92, 93. And in there was the compelling evidence of numerology and taking certain parts and certain times and, and blending it all together to go, it will happen by the end of 1993. And what happened? The rapture didn't come. What would you do next? He wrote another book. 23 Reasons Why a Pre-Tribulation Rapture looks, looks Like It Will Occur. Notice his assertiveness is lessening. In 1993, and then he gives a bunch of dates. Then he wrote one more book in 1994. And then I think he stopped. Now, he loved Jesus. I'm not saying he's a crazy heretic. But he loved Jesus, but he got sidetracked on something that Jesus already spoke to twice. It's not for you to know the seasons or the times. Don't write a book to the world saying it's going to happen this date at this time because you then are going in contradiction with what the Word of God says because the Word of God says you don't know. The Father only, he's fixed it by his authority, not by yours. And so we need to trust that God has those things planned in place at his time, in his purposes, and we don't need to know those details. What we need to know is the verse 8. But as you wait for those things, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. And you will take the gospel from here to there to the ends of the earth. That's what we should be focused on. Unfortunately, we get really hung up on the dates and the times and the seasons. And so I started looking, are there any other kind of major literature or anything that's come out in the last little while here? And, and what was really interesting to me was I found a review of this book, the 1988 one, that the review only came two years ago. And here's what the person who reviewed the book said. It turns out this guy may not be in as error as he initially thought. I'm going to have a hard time reading this because it just blows my mind. He says, if we're to add 33 years to 1988, 33 being representative of when the Lord Jesus died, we come to 2021, this is when he was writing it, and Pentecost is only three weeks away on the 23rd of this year. Then he says, or it could possibly be the Feast of Harvest, which falls on the 16th to the 18th of May, less than two weeks away. And then here's what he says. I myself have been receiving preparation prompts from the Holy Spirit. By preparation prompts, I mean storing up foodstuffs such as rice, pasta, porridge, honey, etc. So let me ask you a question. Was he listening to the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't think so, because does the Holy Spirit say... You need to go prep for this because 33 years now after 1988, I'm returning. Now my other question is, why is he preparing foodstuffs if Jesus is coming back, if he follows Jesus? Whole nother issue. But then there was a little editorial note, and I thought this was actually really good. He writes this. This is after the fact. He says, since becoming more familiar with the word of God and hence grown more in my faith, I have come to the sure conclusion I was wrong to suggest that it is proper and correct to store up stuff in preparation for an uncertain future. Somewhere along the lines, and I don't know if it was because that day came and went, and he went, oh, I guess Jesus didn't come back. 
or if because he started reading scripture for what scripture says and realized it's not for me to know the times and the seasons. And if I'm storing up stuff and hiding in my shelter, am I doing the mission that God has called me to? See, we're promised, Jesus promises us trouble, tribulation, trials. And if we try and hide from those things, then how are we going to accomplish the mission that God has given us? This is one of the challenges that we have in North American Christianity is when things get tough, we try to really find reasons for that. But in other parts of the world, this morning, in countries like China, North Korea, other places, there are people showing up one at a time over the course of 10, 15-minute intervals until the church gathers in a secret location over the course of a number of hours where they can gather and they can worship God. They don't go, oh man, it's too hard. It's too difficult to worship. We should fight for our freedoms. They go, no, we should fight for the gospel. We should fight that people would know Christ because that's where hope is. And I think this is important for our time and our culture in North America especially is our hope should not be in a government. Our hope is in Christ. Now, if the government wanted to align themselves more with Scripture, that would be wonderful. My guess is that's probably unlikely to happen very much. But if it does, praise the Lord. But our hope is in Christ. And so we need to understand the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves so that we see the urgency to go and to preach the gospel to others. This is the mission. This is what God was calling. And he was redirecting the disciples away from this focus that you have. That's, that's not right. It's so much more. And so for us too, to remind ourselves, we don't need to worry about dates, seasons, and times. What we need to worry about is we've been given a mission. God's called us to go into the world to make disciples. God's promised that he's going to give us his, not going to, he is, has given us his spirit so that we can go and accomplish that, not in my power, not in my own strength, but in the Holy Spirit's. All I need to do is to follow him. That's how he gently rebukes and redirects their question to help them understand, here's what's important. And I would argue that it worked exceptionally well because the disciples, among other people that joined the church, which we're going to read about in the weeks ahead, literally changed the world. So I think God did what God said he was going to do. Now because Jesus hasn't come yet for the second time, what does that mean? There's more work to do. It wasn't only for the 12 or for the early church. It was for you and I. To build trust, to share with the people in our lives the hope that we have in Christ so that they would know that there is a God in heaven who loves them and wants to be in relationship with them. That is our purpose. That is your purpose and my purpose. Let's really quickly finish up here. Then we read about the ascension where Jesus goes up to be with God now. This idea of lifted up, right? We kind of think of heaven up there and, and earth here. And I think that's misunderstanding what the text is saying. Is that Jesus is going to be with the Father. And this cloud imagery is used, some people think, not literally, but figuratively. But I think the Old Testament argues with that. I think Daniel chapter 7 
talking about the coming of Christ riding on the cloud shows us that this was God's plan. And so what the disciples see here is Jesus being taken away in a cloud and then the angels come and they say, look, why are you standing up and looking there? This Jesus who's gone up, he's going to come down in the same way. Same thing that it says in Daniel 7 and other parts of the Old Testament. That yes, Jesus has ascended, but he's ascended to be with God until the time fixed by the authority of the Father to send him back. And now in between the ascension and in between Christ's coming, we find ourselves in those times. The New Testament calls those the last days. The problem is usually when we think of last, we think very last. We don't think of 2,000 years as the last days. But here's the thing. And this goes back to what Jonah said in chapter 4, verse 2. Is, God, I know you are slow to anger, abundantly merciful, and that you want to save these people. That's my paraphrase. The same is true of today. There are people all over the world that have never heard the name of Jesus. What are we going to do about that? Well, I'm thankful that we get to partner with people like Guillermo and Marianne who are going, uh, can we call Mexico the end of the world? I don't know. But they're going to share the gospel with people who need, and especially people who think they already know because they have religion. But we read all through the New Testament, religion is a poor man's excuse. It doesn't work. It never did. The Pharisees thought it did, and Jesus rebuked them quite harshly at times for it. So we as a church, we get to partner with, but you individually, you can partner with missionaries, with parachurch organizations that are seeking to spread the gospel in the world. Do we care about that, or do we only care about here? Is our focus only so narrow that we've lost sight of it all? Now, on the flip side of that, there's something really, really interesting that we get to experience here in Banff that I think many people don't in the world. I was chatting with a friend of mine who was at a Christian conference this weekend down in the States. And he had texted me during our Thursday night Bible study. And so after that Bible study, I texted back and I was just talking about a few things that happened that night because it was super exciting. And there's about 15 of us there, 12 to 15 of us there. And there's six different uh, countries represented in those few people. And I just told him that because I thought that was cool. I always think that's cool. And here's what he said. He says, that's awesome, you can literally reach the nations and never leave home. I'm not saying you should never leave home. What I'm pointing out is that God's literally sending the nations to us every day from all over the world. What are we doing about that? Now, I'm not saying that we need to go on the street corner and, and start yelling condemnation on people. I don't think that's effective. But what I am saying is I think that we need to love people the way that Christ has called us to love people and look for opportunities to share the hope that you and I have in Jesus. And I think we get distracted by doing that out of a lot of different reasons. Fear, judgment, concern, whatever it might be. But I think just like the disciples, Jesus is coming to rebuke us to say, don't, don't narrow in like this. Don't think of only your job, your career, your family, your hopes, your aspirations, your dreams. Think like this. I called you to make disciples of the nations. That's what we want to be as a church. And praise the Lord, we live in this bizarre town where the nations come to us. 
So let's figure out how we're going to take advantage of that. How we're going to use what God is doing to accomplish his purposes in our world. Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. God, thank you that in these short verses that you redirect the disciples' questions, you rebuke them, but you rebuke them very gently. Because your desire was that they would know what your purposes were for them and for us as well. And so God, I pray that each one of us, that we would consider, are we focusing way too narrow only on ourselves? Or are we thinking about the mission that you have called us to do to bring hope to the nations? God, my prayer is that we would go home and that we would evaluate our own hearts that as a family, that family units, that we would sit together and discuss and, and try and consider how we might be faithful to the calling to be your witnesses throughout the world. God, would you help us not to get distracted by the amount of time that has come, or the time that has gone, pardon me, between when Jesus ascended and this day, but help us to remember that you have fixed by your own authority the moment when Jesus will return. And that could be any day. So help us to trust you with it, but help us to see that as important. That it might give us a sense of urgency to love the people that you have put in our lives. That we might be able to share with them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. God, in these next moments as we celebrate communion together, as we look back and remind ourselves of all that you did for us, we also look forward to that day when you will come again. Keep us focused on that truth. Help nothing else in this world to satisfy us, but only Christ alone. God, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives now. Amen.